So we're going to turn to Exodus to begin, um, and then I'll fill you in as we go along. So Exodus 24 is our starting place, verse 13 to 18. Exodus 24, 13 to 18. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called, them, called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The second passage is Exodus 34, verse 29 to 35. 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses... His face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out... And told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak to the Lord. And the third passage is Exodus 40, starting at 34. Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the travels of all the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day that it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites, during all their travels. And let's go to the last reading now. Uh, we're going to Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 13. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked them, asked him, Why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Well, at the um, time of Queen Elizabeth's death, um, you know, we heard lots of stories about her life. I think my favourite one was the story that her bodyguard of 30 years told. Um, And he spoke of the time when they were uh, walking through the Scottish countryside. You know, I imagine there was the Queen with her headscarf and boots and very practical coat. You know, we see those images of her. Um, And as they're walking along, they come across a couple of American tourists who are hiking through the area. And apparently there are some people in the world who don't know what the Queen looks like because they sort of run into each other, they have a bit of a chat, and they ask her, do you live around here? And she says, well, my house is, yeah, just over the hill. And by house, she means Balmoral Castle. And, um, and they ask her, have you ever met the Queen? And she says, very quick as a flash, I haven't. But putting to her uh, bodyguard, she says, uh, he meets regularly with her. And they were very impressed. In fact, they wanted to get a photo of them with him. And so they asked the Queen to take a photo of them which he, she very happily obliged. Uh, but the bodyguard, knowing what was going on, they, he also grabbed the camera and took a photo of them with her. And they had a little chat and they're on their way. And the uh, story goes that she said later on, you know, I wish I could be a fly on a wall when they look at their photos and someone points out who I really am. Now, imagine not even seeing, not even knowing the person who's right there in front of you. Uh, Appearances can be deceiving. Now, today's moment with Jesus is about, in some sense, that appearances can be deceiving. Uh, Today's about, do you know Jesus? Do you know the true Jesus who is right there, well, he's right there in front of you? See, have you, in fact, taken a version of Jesus that's fine with you, that makes you comfortable, that puts him in a box? You make certain assumptions about him, but you actually fail to see him as he really is? Well, that's what today's about, understanding who he is. And we're going to look at four points today. Uh, they They are, look again at Jesus, he is more. Look again at Jesus, he does more. Look again at Jesus, he... Uh, he requires more. And my final point is just going to bring it all together. Look again at Jesus to know the true Jesus. So here's the first point. Look again at Jesus. He is more. Now we come to this moment known as the transfiguration. I dare you during the week to try to use the word transfiguration in any sentence you've got going. 
Because it really is just a single unique word for this single unique moment. And it's kind of cool that we come to the transfiguration at this time of year. See, we've had Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and the theological word for that is incarnation. Uh, God becomes flesh. We're heading towards Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection. And, And in this moment in between, which really is peeling back the curtain on Jesus, well, it is his transfiguration. And we're being shown that Jesus is more. Uh, What have we got here? Verse 1, Jesus leads three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, on a high mountain. Now, Jesus, I don't know this, but Jesus and mountains, they always go together. You've got Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the very end of Matthew's gospel is going to end with Jesus on a mountain as he tells them to go out to the world and tell nations about him. And now Jesus leads these three disciples up to a high mountain. And so much happens on this mountain right in front of them. Verse 2, have a look there. I mean, this is incredible words. Verse 2, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. What do we make of this? This is Jesus ablaze. Light is emanating from him. It makes me think of those old, that old footage you would see of testing atomic bombs. You know, you know, kilometers back there'd be some bunker, you know, with the scientists and the soldiers wearing the goggles, you know, for that pure flash of light that comes their way. Well, these disciples are not in any safe distance from Jesus. Without any protective gear, Jesus is a glow. Jesus goes nuclear right there in front of them. And really the picture is, well, we're supposed to realize now that Jesus is more than we think. And that the fact that along with shining bright Jesus comes on the mountain, verse 5, this bright cloud... Well, this is about the revealing of God's glory, the revealing of God's splendor and majesty, the weight, the force of the Lord that is an inapproachable, utterly pure and glorious light. There's so much going on in this moment. We'll try to unpack some of it. But the fact that Moses and Elijah somehow turn up, who lived hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus, how did that happen? We don't know. How did even Peter recognize that it was Elijah and Peter? We don't know. But Jesus is on this mountain with ancient men who actually did their best work on mountains. You know, we read before Exodus 24, Uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the law of God on that mountain. And guess what? What happens there? Uh, On comes a cloud. Uh, God's glory, a cloud of God's consuming fire covers this mountain. And at Mount Sinai, with God's glory upon it, God is so holy and pure and untouchable and and almighty. They actually have to set an exclusion zone. You might remember that story. They have to set an exclusion zone around the mountain because if a person or even an animal touches that mountain, they die. The glory of the Lord was the cloud and the light and the consuming fire. So here Jesus is standing himself with his disciples. He emanates that same 
God glory. This transfiguration, it's pulling back the curtain of who Jesus really is. Now today, when you came in, uh, you might have received uh, a copy of the Nicene Creed, which we're going to say later on. I'm going to invite you to say it later on. This is an ancient church creed, first adopted in 325 AD. It actually helped answer some false teaching uh, that was going around about Jesus at the time. It's a doctrinal statement cherished by Christians. But part of it says this, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of one being with the Father. Uh, this transfiguration of Jesus is about he is more than we think. He is God from God. He is light from light. True God from true God in all his glory. Now, when you look at this moment that Peter is having with Jesus and poor old Peter, it's like he's so close to knowing what's going on, yet he actually fully doesn't quite get it yet because he's excited. He says, have a look there, verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, Peter's pretty excited. Or maybe he's pretty terrified. Or maybe he's a bit of both. But it's like Peter thinks he's been invited into this sort of Hall of Fame moment. There's Moses. There's Elijah. There's Jesus. He's got them all stacked up in a row. Isn't that what Peter's doing? He reckons he's got front row seats to a, to a Hall of Fame moment, three in a row, three of the best, and he wants to build three shelters for each one of them, one for you, one for you, and one for you. You know, you get the picture that Peter's verbal diarrhea just keeps running out because God has to interrupt him. Do you notice that God interrupts him? Verse 5 says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. See, Jesus is not the latest and the brightest and the best sent from God, as if this is three of the best. No, Jesus is God. There's so much going on here. But do you remember that moment we read earlier about Moses who comes down from Mount Sinai? He's been with the Lord. He's carrying with him the Lord. And he had this, what, a reflected glory. His face is shining. And with Moses, it is a reflected glory. You know, Moses, Moses becomes the moon, reflecting the light from the sun. But Jesus, he is the sun. It's coming from inside out of him. It blazes from him, light from light, true God from true God. So who do you think Jesus is? A moral teacher, a moral compass for life, maybe a misunderstood religious figure, a spiritual guide to help you live a better life. If that's your view, it would be meeting Queen Elizabeth and not recognizing who you've met. How can we take a version of Jesus to make us feel better when this is Jesus who is revealed? Jesus has changed lives. People, people die for Jesus. It, it's not because we think he's the best of the rest. It's because into our reality, into our world, came God. 
Look at Jesus. He is more. Now, here's the second thing. Look again at Jesus. Uh, Jesus does more. Uh, So we've got this glorious moment on the mountain with Jesus. Uh, Peter says, verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, So not only does Peter not really get who Jesus is, he does not get what Jesus came to do. Do you see how Peter just wants to preserve this awesome, glorious moment forever? You know, Peter wants to go to Bunnings and get three DIY pergolas going. He wants to go get, get the Merbu, or is it Merbau? I never know. I reckon Peter would have liked you know, to get a, a water feature, outdoor furniture, whatever it would do to preserve this glorious moment on the mountain. But Jesus, he took him up the mountain, but he never intended to stay on that mountain. You see this at verse 9. They're coming down from the mountain and Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I'll put it like this. Peter is just like us. You know, when we experience something that we think is wonderful and glorious, it becomes something we want to show off. You know, see, just imagine you went to one of these glittery, amazing concerts lately. You know, you went to see Ed Sheeran or Harry Styles or one of the other concerts. You know, if you had the experience, you could not keep your camera, your phone in your pocket. You could not. You, you would take it out. You would take photos. You'd want to show everyone where you were. You'd preserve that moment. Well, Jesus knows it's like that with his disciples and what they've seen on the mountain. So they should only speak about this moment of God's glory as they also speak of his death. You see this down in verse 12. Uh, Just like John the Baptist, who was the second Elijah, um, Jesus says, in the same way, he is going to suffer. Uh, Jesus will be raised from the dead. Jesus will suffer at their hands. See, if Peter and the disciples just want to preserve this glorious moment, build shelters, then boast what they got to see, they are not getting what Jesus is about. The glorious one came to die. Here's another part of that Nicene Creed we'll read later. It says, For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. For us and our salvation, for our sake. Thank God that Jesus did not stay on the mountain. Thank God that Jesus was willing to come down. Thank God that Jesus knew his mission to hang on a cross and suffer and die for us. Uh, Here's a passage from the New Testament that matches together uh, Jesus' glory and his suffering. It comes from the start of Hebrews. It says this, Now, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in his last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he pointed out of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son 
is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See how with Jesus, there's there's no watering down of God. Jesus is not some lesser faded uh, copy of God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You get Jesus, you get God. But notice what he does. He provides purification for sins. He did that at the cross. He died so that the stain of our sin would be cleansed. He died so that the penalty of our sin would be taken away and paid for. Today we're talking about appearances can be deceiving and revealing Jesus' glory. Even in that appearances can be deceiving because the glorious Jesus goes to the cross for our salvation. How incredible is Jesus? You know, thinking about ourselves, you know, we're so weak and frail. You know, we get a paper cut and we whinge and we're in pain and we complain. You know, that's normal for us. But this is the only Son of God, light from light, true God from true God. He shines like the sun. And yet he bleeds. He'll be crucified for us. How is that even possible? But it is. In the glory of God, there's also the love of God, the compassion of God. That Jesus came and died for us. Come to the third thing now. We've seen, um, you know, look again at Jesus. He is more. He does more. Now Jesus requires more. Uh, This is when uh, God does to Peter, uh, you know, uh, you need to close your mouth moment. Because it says there, verse 5, look again. While Peter was still speaking... A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, Listen to him. Uh, This is about Jesus' authority. This is about Jesus gets to define and command what life is about. This is not listen to him like I like to listen to podcasts. You know, like to listen to get some wisdom and get some insight and useful information. Uh, Listen to Jesus, not to get some useful information. This is to sit under the lordship, the rulership, the ownership of Jesus. And in the context of this moment on the mountain, you know, it's Moses. He had the law of God. We have Elijah, like all the prophets, they gave this message from God. But Jesus is the ultimate word from God. Listen to him. And look, I understand that Christianity gets a bad rap because it's like, you know, any religion, it just feels like it can be like laws to obey, rules to keep. And even this thing about listen to Jesus might sound like, well, it's more rules to keep. You know, you just got to follow Jesus to keep on God's good side. And, you know, obviously all these Christians turn up to church on a Sunday because that's what they have to do to follow the Jesus rules. But remember, we listen to Jesus because he is full of glory, light from light, true God from true God. 
who died for us, died for our sin, died in our place and rose again. To listen to Jesus, to obey him is not a guilt thing. It's not an earning our way thing. Because he loves us. Well, we can't help ourselves but love him. Back to the transfiguration of Jesus. He shone like the sun and there's this bright cloud and there's this voice from heaven. It's, it's like Mount Sinai with God and his glory. Uh, back with you know, Mount Sinai, there was this exclusion zone. Um, you know, so sinners wouldn't die. And in this moment with Jesus, verse 6, it's right that the disciples, you know, face plant on the ground in terror because they're sinners before a holy and glorious God. Uh, Jesus could fry them in ashes in an instant. But notice what Jesus does. There's no exclusion zone. In fact, Jesus comes near to them and he touches them. He tells them, get up. Don't be afraid. How could you not be afraid before the holy, glorious God? Well, if that holy, glorious God, as part of his holiness and his glory, is in fact loving and compassionate, if that holy, glorious God is willing to suffer so that we might be purified... We live under the authority of Jesus. We listen to him. We want to live according to God's commands in in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't do that out of fear, but out of love. Because he, the glorious one, loves us. Let's finish on one last thing. You know... um, This transfiguration of Jesus is truly a mountaintop moment. It's a mountaintop moment. It's about knowing the true Jesus. But it's actually part of the journey of understanding that's been going on for a while. See, if you go back to chapter 16, go back to chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus had been asking his disciples, who do you think I am? And 16, verse 16, Peter gives the right answer. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, Peter's answer is correct. You know, if Christianity is a quiz, Peter gets it right. 100% accurate. If it was just knowing some things about Jesus, Peter has covered, he's ticked every box. And I'll say this to each person here. You know, if Christianity was about knowing a few answers, ticking a few boxes about God, uh, about God and Jesus and life, then, well, we could think we have it covered. But this transfiguration moment with Jesus is about showing right answers, Peter. You know, showing right answers, Peter, and is showing us that you can have the right answers. But you and I need to have our eyes open to the true glorious Jesus who he really is you know Peter gets a transfiguration vision you and I we need something of a vision I'm not saying you're going to get transfiguration by the way but the eyes of our heart need to see Jesus we need to see Jesus as he really is 
Now, before we got to enjoy, we had the privilege of um, listening or watching Sharon. Sharon tell her story of becoming a Christian. And I'll just repeat a little bit of what she said. But, uh, you know, as I read these words out, I reckon I can detect Sharon having a mountaintop experience. I can actually detect her seeing God, seeing Jesus for who he really is. See, check this out. She said, hearing what the preacher said, the gospel made sense to me. The words cut through my heart was, com- was comforting and confronting. I realized I was a sinner and needed to be rescued from the wrath of God, from the almighty God who's holy and magnificent, matchless in his glory. The God who made the world everything. He loved me so much, willing to die for me and rose again. To have my eyes open to that fact was mind-blowing. That's what Jesus, uh, that's what Sharon said. I, I think Sharon had a mountaintop moment because that's what it means to be a Christian. Sharon knew stuff too, didn't she say that? She said she got top marks at school, she got top marks at Sunday school. She knew the answers, but it was nothing because she needed her eyes open to the mind-blowing truth that she's a sinner who gets to be saved by the holy, magnificent creator of the world, Jesus, who died for her. Has your eyes been opened to the truth of Jesus? Come to Jesus. Trust in him. Accept him. Say thank you to the glorious, loving one who died for you. And if you already are a true born-again Christian, the way to actually make progress, to listen to Jesus and make progress in, you know, things that we might struggle with, you know, anger and lust and jealousy and, you know, needing to become more generous and kind and patient because we need help with that. But to make progress with that, it's not just getting more right answers. It's not ticking more stuff, ticking more boxes, knowing more things. But yet again, opening our eyes to the true Jesus. Again, I'm not promising you'll have a transfiguration vision, but it's opening your eyes to the true Jesus. It may not be an emotional high thing. It doesn't need to be a mystical thing. But it is in an ongoing way. Coming to the word. And looking to see Jesus. It is in an ongoing way, in humility, in prayer, coming to Jesus. It is in community like this, singing together, that our hearts would be open to praising the true Jesus. It is encouraging each other. It's letting each other know, remember that Jesus is magnificent, that he's almighty, that he's completely holy, he's glorious. And he died for you and me. That the eyes of our heart would be open to see who Jesus really is. Now I'm going to invite you that we're going to uh, spend a moment actually encouraging one another with the truth of this ancient creed known as the Nicene Creed. Uh, It'll be on the screen but it'll also be the paper that you were handed. Let me explain this a little bit more than the Nicene Creed. We do this very occasionally at Christ Centred. It was written in 325 A.D., was formulated by a council that was convened to look at false teaching about Jesus at the time. That false teaching was called Arianism. Arianism taught that Jesus was a created being. 
So we now have this creed. It's spoken. It's treasured by Christians in mainstream Christianity over the last 2,000 years. It reminds us that Jesus is more than a man. He is God's son. He is the same essence, the same being as the Father. As we say these words, we actually unite ourselves to Christians over the last 2,000 years. We actually unite ourselves to each other in the truth that we profess. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, And even if you don't want to say these words, you can sit or stand, whatever makes you feel comfortable. But please stand. And then we're going to say these words. And I'd encourage you, if you want to say them, don't mumble them. Say them nice and clear. All right, this is the Nicene Creed. Let's go. We believe... In one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. While you stand, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for uh, the glorious one, light from light, true God from true God, uh, that he is the radiance. He is the radiance of your glory. He's the exact representation of your being that uh, we can come to know you as God, as you are, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, We thank you for that moment uh, there on the mountain, given to Peter, James, and John, but actually given to all disciples, that we would actually come to know Jesus and follow him and listen to him. We thank you so much that uh, Jesus is glorious. He is full of matchless glory. Uh, He is radiant and majestic and holy and powerful but in compassion and mercy and grace. We have not had to stay separate and apart and away and at a distance, but Jesus has come near. That Jesus came near because he went to the cross for us. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That he died for our sins. So that in him we have life. So that in him we have eternal life and we wait for your kingdom to come. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.